This Word on Fire Minute is brought to you by Advantage Futures. As Catholics, we must take advantage of new technology to spread the faith. Wordonfire.org is on the front lines, featuring the work of one of the church's best messengers, Father Robert Barron. At wordonfire.org, you'll find inspirational podcasts, videos, audio sermons, books, DVDs, and the Catholicism Project. It is one of the most ambitious efforts ever to promote the Catholic faith to the world. Catholicism is Father Barron's global documentary series, filmed in high definition and now in production for TV and DVD. Father Barron's series will illustrate the beauty and depth of the church and explain the Catholic faith on our own terms. It will be an exciting new way for families, parishes, and schools to teach Catholicism. Preview the production, join our email list, and contribute to the Catholicism Project at wordonfire.org. Become part of the story today. This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us, so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I'm speaking to you on this great feast of the Ascension. The Ascension, of course, is about Jesus, but it's also about the Church. And I want to say something about both. First of all, The Ascension celebrates the fact that Jesus, sometime after his resurrection, entered a new and higher dimension of existence. Now, don't think of the Ascension primarily in spatial terms, as though Jesus is now in outer space somewhere. Think of it more, if I can put my professor's hat on for a second, think of it more metaphysically. Jesus in his humanity, now lives at a higher pitch of being. Think of a triangle that's become a pyramid. Think of a square that's become a cube. Think of a circle that's become a sphere. In such transformations, triangularity isn't lost, it's been transfigured. The circle hasn't disappeared. It's been elevated into a sphere. The square hasn't passed out of existence. It's been multiplied, enhanced, raised to a new level. I think this example, maybe it's a bit um, simplistic, but I think it gives us some sense of what a resurrected or glorified or ascended body means. You know, I've been saying to you throughout the Easter season, I feel very strongly about this, that Christian hope is not centered on a disembodied soul that's escaped from the body. That's Plato's fantasy or the fantasy of of certain mystics over the centuries. But it's not Christian hope. Rather, Christian hope has to do with the resurrection of the body 
Or even better, with the transfiguration of the whole self through God's grace. The ascension of Jesus, I think, gives us a clue as to what this means. And thereby, it awakens our hope and stimulates our religious imagination. Because, as Paul says, someday we know that Christ will give us bodies like his own glorified body. So I think a feast like the Ascension gives us a chance to speculate, to ruminate, to imagine, to hope, to look forward to this wonderful day when we won't so much lose our bodiliness as our bodiliness will be transformed, elevated, transfigured, like Christ's own glorified body. So, it's about Jesus. But this feast, as I was saying, is also about the church and about the church's work in the world right now. And I think it's fascinating how our readings for today are especially clear on this point. There's an exchange in Luke's account from Acts, and that's our our first reading for today, that most of us, I think, would probably pass over, not grasping its significance. But on the Mount of Ascension, just before he ascends, Jesus stands with his disciples and they ask, listen, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's the question they ask. Now, can you imagine you're standing on the Mount of Ascension with the resurrected Jesus? He's about to leave. What, what would you ask him? Would you ask him this question? I, I bet most of us wouldn't. But that's what they wonder. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What did that mean? Where's that question coming from? Well, I've said many times before that one of the great tasks of the Mashiach, the Messiah, was to gather the tribes of Israel. Jesus' ministry, including very much his cultivation of 12 apostles, symbolic of the 12 tribes, was focused on this task. So was his open table fellowship. So was the Last Supper. So was this gathering in that he did throughout his ministry. So now, after the surprise and glory of the resurrection, it's only natural for the disciples to ask this question. They must have felt that now, above all, is the moment when the glorified and risen Christ would be the magnet for Israel and through Israel, the gatherer of all the nations. This seems to be what his whole life was about. Now that he's risen from the dead, this must be the time when he's going to gather the nations in. Now, Jesus' answer, I think, is, uh, is also fascinating. He tells them, it's not for them to know the exact hour. So he kind of puts them off a little bit. Well, I, you know, it's not for you to know when this will happen. But then, immediately, he tells them what? About the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will accomplish in them. Listen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the last thing he says to them. 
And there we have it. The risen Jesus will indeed gather Israel. And through Israel, he will indeed gather the world. But, but, and here's where we come in. He will use the secondary causality of his church to accomplish this end. How? How? He will give us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can carry on his work in his name, giving us the privilege and joy of cooperating with him. Isn't it interesting? There's the question, Lord, is this the time now you're going to gather Israel? Well, well, you know, hang on. It's not for you to know the exact time. Here's what's important for you, he says to them and to us. You will be clothed with the Holy Spirit, and then you will be empowered to be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria. So he starts kind of local, but then to the ends of the earth. Yes, indeed, he is the Mashiach, and yes, indeed, he'll gather the tribes of the world, but his instrumental cause will be us, will be his body, the church. So we have our marching orders on the Feast of the Ascension. Here's our job, is we now need to reach out, preach, proclaim, witness, announce Jesus so as to gather the tribes. This is precisely why I love this scene. Right after the Lord is taken up and the disciples are gazing after him into the sky, angels appear and they say, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking up at the sky? In other words, get to work. Get to work. Go now. It's analogous to the end of the Mass. After we've communed intimately with the risen Christ, the priest then says, go, the Mass has ended. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. So now these angels are a bit like deacons at the Mass, saying, go, get to work. You be the means now by which Christ will gather the tribes, will gather the nations. Now, with all this in mind, let's turn to our second reading, which is Paul's letter. It's a passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul makes reference to the ascension, and then he adds, listen, And he gave some as prophets, others as evangelists, others as pastors and teachers, to equip the holy ones for the work of ministry. It's so central to Paul, isn't it? And I think we don't give adequate attention to it. What's Paul mentioning here? Well, all the great missions empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work of Jesus. Some are prophets. That means great fiery teachers, preachers. Others are evangelists, people who announce the good news from you know, your Billy Grahams and John Paul II's down to, to uh, uh, you announcing the gospel to a friend at work. Others as pastors. So some will shepherd and guide the flock. Others as teachers. So people like myself who are teaching theology at the seminary, teaching through the media. All these are, he says, to equip the holy ones for the work of ministry. Okay. After the ascension, the Spirit comes. The Spirit's job is to give missions. That's it. To give missions to us. 
There is nothing in your life or mine more important than discerning what this mission is. See, and here's the part I think we don't emphasize enough. You know, as you move through your life and you're thinking, well, I'll do this and that. I want to be successful here and there. I want to accomplish this and that. Well, all that's fine. But all that's secondary. What matters most is, have you found your mission? Have you found what the Holy Spirit has equipped you to do? And then everything else you do in life will be subordinate to that. That's what's important. Finally, with all that in mind, we look briefly at the gospel. The gospel is Mark's version of the Great Commission, Jesus' last instructions to his followers. Here's what he says now in Mark. Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Now, there it is again, the great gathering task. That's your job now, to do what Jesus did. But he's giving you the privilege to participate in his work. But then we find this specification in Mark. So then the Lord was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. Now again, friends, don't literalize this language as though Jesus is sitting on a chair in the sky. So we don't want to over-literalize here. This is, of course, metaphoric speech. But designed to communicate a very, I think, interesting and important fact. That Jesus, in his ascended, elevated, transfigured state, does what? He rules and reigns over the work of his church. This image of someone sitting at the right hand of the throne, well, it's like the prime minister or like the um, plenipotentiary of the king. It's someone who's invested with the full authority of the king, sitting at his right hand. So Christ is the governor of his church. We are given, yes indeed, a participation in his work. We're given mission. We're clothed with the Holy Spirit. But see, don't feel that we're on our, you're on your own. You know, here we are doing the best we can to do this work. No, no. The ascended Christ, sitting at God's right hand, is the Lord of his church. And he is coordinating the work of the church. Now, I know it can seem this is not the case. When you look at all the difficulties we face, you look at the corruption of some people in the church and all that, but yet we have this confidence that Christ, sitting at the right hand of the Father, is governing, guiding, directing the work of the church. Have confidence in that as you go about your work. And so on the Feast of the Ascension, look to Christ, yes indeed, Look to this elevated, transfigured Christ. But then also hear the words of those angels. Men of Galilee, don't just stand looking up in the sky, but now go. You get to work of gathering the tribes of the world. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. 